Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford. And I'm your other host, Matthew Rodriguez. And today we are joined by our first Scooby. Joe. Oh, hi. Yes, me. <laughs> Did I have to say my name? I was waiting to hear my name. <laughs> um, I'm... Oh, you want us to call you by your name? Oh, oh <laughs> starting this year, yes. <laughs> God, and... I just rileyed up this podcast. I better... Ah! Uh, there it is. Uh, and we are also joined by first-time guest. Introduce yourself. Buffy Flores. Hi, everybody. Um, and Buffy, since it's your first time being on, would you like to tell us your Buffy origin story? Absolutely. It's not really that interesting, but <laughs> um, I was a little child, so didn't know little trans girl at the time, wouldn't figure that out for many years, but um, was just a child who always adored their mother. Was um, She was the superstar. Everything she did, I wanted to do. And... She was a fan of Buffy at the time, but she said that the show was a little too scary for me at the time. Um, I was pretty young. Yeah, yeah. And I used to do everything I could to sneak into the room because it was like everything that I wanted. And I always say that she knew that I was hiding and like sneaking peeks and just kind of let me do it. But the obsession just kind of came from there that um, (laughs) once I was old enough to watch it on my own, uh, I asked every birthday for every season. And then... (laughs) It was just there in my teenagers when I really needed it. So ever since, it's been a part of my life. (laughs) So wait, were you, by the time you were, by the time you were like, like, quote unquote, old enough to watch it, was it already off the air and you had to like go back and buy them? Or was it still? I bought, I had all the DVDs, so I never had to wait through commercials or anything. So it was a really pleasant (laughs) viewing experience. I could just watch as many episodes as I wanted. (laughs) You didn't have to watch all those WB promos for all those shows that uh, came and went. (laughs) I feel like I missed out. <laughs> well, Buffy, we, say, we, we always say on the show like a, a lot of I think a, a big your your origin story has two of the main ones, which is our mothers watched it, um, which happens a lot actually is like moms watching the show and then us watching with them, and then the other part is it being forbidden. Yeah, um, yeah. Mo- most of the stories either include a mom or being forbidden, and yours has both. So, double <laughs> <Bell> trouble. <laughs> um. Yeah, that's really funny. Yeah, yeah. Because um, when we had Jana Svensson on, she was like, oh, wait, you're all young enough that your moms watch? Are we at that point? We are like, no, 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 no. Like, you know, our moms weren't exactly the demographic for Buffy, but... <laughs> no, this is still horrifying for me, just so you know. Like, that's fine. <laughs> that's cool. I love it. <laughs> great. Um, <laughs> well, today we are here to discuss um, season four's episode 13, The Iron Team. And, uh, yeah, it is... It is part one of a kind of unofficial two-parter, right? Right. Yeah, it is kind of an unofficial two-parter. And we'll be having, you know, the guests back to discuss Goodbye, Iowa. But let's let's jump right in uh, to how the episode starts. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I I, I actually, I do really love... I I put in my notes that I... And, like, I get why she's not there, because they don't know her yet. But I wish Tara could have been there, so it could have been, like, the main... For me, that's, like, the core Scoobies, is, like, the three of them and Tara. Yeah. Um, But, like, you know, clearly they don't know her yet, so that's why she's not there. But I almost wish Tara could have been there, too, because they're all very... You know, I do think... I mean, we've said it so many times. The show does a really good job of 
like I could watch all of them hanging out without Buffy and it's still <laughs> enjoyable, right? <laughs> I like I think that it's a really good writerly detail to have Xander selling bars as his job because that's like when you've reached the lowest job that you can like <laughs> like they're really trying to show that he is like scraping the bottom of the barrel of jobs that he's joined like, the pyramid scheme yeah yeah joining <laughs> the pyramid scheme is like the final it's the final boss if you will of, <laughs> that job. and i it, it reminds me kind of of like uh season six when we see buffy trying to get into the world of work for life serial yeah like, yeah but like this is real. I mean, and if we after this is kind of when Xander gets more into construction and actually gets on a path. So I think it's an interesting note for them to hit that, like, just so you know, this is how bad it gets that he is now part of a health bar pyramid scheme. Yeah. And I do I do appreciate and you've said it before, Matthew, I appreciate what they kind of which Buffy doesn't always touch upon like class and that like they don't always touch upon that, but they do a good job, I think, at least with Xander in doing that. Like, he's he's trying, but he's just, like, he can't, like, make... He's not, like, making the money he needs to be making to move out of that basement. Um, right. And, like, I don't know, it feels real, right? Like, <laughs> um, I also... I mean, one, I wanted to point out that I don't normally thirst after Xander, but he is looking really good in this opening scene, I think. He looked really good in that scene, I will say that, right? too. Right? <laughs> But maybe it's just my love of, like, un- wanting to help out underachieving men. And <laughs> I saw him needing help, and I was like, oh, a project. Let me hop on that. Suddenly Manic pixie in. dream gay here. Jesus. Yes. <laughs> I, I want to enjoy how, like, his shirt is very flattering in that scene, but I, uh, anybody who knows me knows that I am so against Xander and basically just about every aspect you can be. So it's it's very hard for me to be impartial about him because <laughs> you I have just, found the right podcast, you, I feel you like. have. Oh, this is I can't. <laughs> we oh, got so um So then we have Buffy's so sorry, wait, go no, ahead. no no wait. I have I have just like a few more I love um I mean they do a lot of these beats with Xander and for me that's when he works comedy wise. Um you know, when Willow's like, oh, a spanking new boyfriend. And Anya's like, yes, we've enjoyed spanking. <laughs> One, I love Anya so much. And then two, I love him just like flipping the cards up in the air and just like, <gasps> he's like that like kind of prudish straight guy. But like Anya doesn't give a shit and is just like, oh yeah, that's what we do. We've done that. Hmm, no big deal. Um, and even the look, I like the look on Allison Hannigan's face feels almost real. Like it almost feels like she's not quite acting because she's like kind of laughing and smiling at like, this yeah. absurd thing Anya said, um, and I appreciate that. Um, I also appreciate that moment because we know that Xander has only had sex with like with two people, and it's Faith, and then now an actual like sexual relationship that is yeah. like symbiotic and not just like Faith taking sex from him. Right. right. And uh, so, like the fact that I don't know them talking about spanking is very. It's not very WB. It's right, not yes. Sarah McLaughlin playing under a tree, but it's realistic. <laughs> it doesn't follow the normal the normal formula that you've given us, Matthew. That's WB, where they look each other in the eyes for half a season and then kiss. Yeah, once. <laughs> <laughs> the looking each other in the eyes is for space on WB. Yeah. Um, and then I love. It's an, sorry, go ahead. I, I was just to say I do. I do have to say Xander's oddly perceptive about Riley. He like sums him up really well when he's like. 
Riley's okay in an oafish kind of way, and then Xander's like, but I don't trust the initiative. Um, and it's weird that Xander's the one that's actually kind of right, because um, that doesn't happen that often. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I do love Willow's like, well, you know, I'm sure they're pro-ex-demon, and Anya's like, maybe, I choose to feel threatened. Like... <laughs> What were you going to say, Joe? Very practical. Um, just about, like, the opening scene. So, like, just kind of, like... In- okay, so first of all, I forgot to say, we're in a fight, we- y'all and me, <laughs> in that y'all, like, showed up and was just like, we already did Hush, the best episode of the season. We're going to stop just short of this year's Girl, Who Are You?, which are the Faith episodes, which are my favorite episodes of the season. <laughs> Joe, why don't you... Joe, our beloved original, like, regular, whatever, guest, why don't you come on and talk about the Ion team and Goodbye Iowa? The fucking initiativist, like, Rileyist episodes. And I was just like, these guys. Um, but, you know, I love you, and I will do it for you anyway. Um, You're damn right, but then Joel. I showed up... <laughs> and this first scene is just sort of like everything about season four that sort of irked me, which is like everything that happens in season four only happens to Buffy and everybody else is legitimately playing cards in the basement while like Buffy's doing all the shit. And so much in this episode is, is that exactly to the point where like Spike has to just like run into the house to like give them a storyline to tie in because otherwise they would have nothing to do. And it's, excuse me. Willow is busy, busy becoming a lesbian slash bisexual. (laughs) That is true, and that is valuable, and I cherish that. And yet, it's still sort of like happening in a different show. And I feel like this this is the season where that is most the case, where like Buffy's entire storyline could be happening. And I know like part of that is like that was a lot of the things that they wanted to do with this season, which is that like the post collegiate, you're you know, they have the friendship drift and whatever. And it's realistic, but it's not super fun to watch. If I like what if one of my favorite things about Buffy is Buffy and the Scoobies like interacting together. Like well I will just rebuttal really quickly before we go into the whole rest of the episode and say that I I think that having you on for these episodes is an honor because I love these episodes because I actually think that it's a little arc within itself because we actually do start with the friends playing cards in the basement but I think that throughout these two episodes we do get a lot of like Buffy with the gang and that this is like the come to Jesus or like the reckoning where like they are all finally kind of waking up to the initiative. And so Buffy kind of has to have her group with her in order to like, I mean, she brings Xander in there and that's a lot of gold. So I actually like, I, I I'm saying, I agree with you that like that might be some of the faults of the season, which I love dearly, but I actually like this because I feel like, the show in mini in the, in these two episodes deals with that and like finds a way to force them to interact again. I value your support of these episodes. I think it's going to like make me see them in a little bit of a different light. So so to also offer you, uh, Joe, I knew that you have a lot of good TV insight and I knew that I wasn't that in love with these episodes. So I, when we were discussing who to like where to put what guests that's been on already, I was like, Oh, Joe has always has a lot of good, like, TV insider info, like he knows a lot of behind the scenes stuff. These episodes don't quite do it for me, but I thought like, oh, Joe will be good because he'll be able to like 
Before we recorded this, I told Matthew I felt like I was in a fight with season four. <laughs> because <laughs> I feel like these episodes, there's like, I'm like, come on, like, fucking do something. Yeah. Um, what does that mean? Th- these two episodes are the most plot, he- something is happening every five seconds. You're all just crazy. But it's a lot of talk. <laughs> it's a lot of them talking about things. I don't know. Okay, let's actually anyway, talk yes, about yes, the yes, scenes yes, yes. because now Buffy's okay. just sitting there. I know. Hi, Buffy. Buffy's just sitting there <laughs> listening to us go back and forth. Oh. <laughs> I just don't want to talk over everybody. I have a bad habit of talking over people. <laughs> you can No, you can totally chime in. I mean, but we are going to talk about our personal feelings about the episode at the end as we usually do uh-huh. and how we grade it. So there will be a time and a place. <laughs> I'll only but say I, do want to talk I actually about... like the episodes because I'm like my favorite thing about Buffy is Buffy. So like the more she's on camera, the happier I am. And these episodes are definitely super Buffy heavy. I mean, I've Absolutely. always kind of been on the fence about season four, but I think overall I was more pro season four than sort of like anti kind of ranks in the middle somewhere for me. All right. Um, so I do want to talk about the Buffy initiative test that she goes through where she like kind of kicks everyone at everyone's ass in 28 seconds and then kind of plays coy with Maggie Walsh. Yes. Um, I think the thing that I, that's the most interesting about that scene is that like the different reactions to Buffy doing so well, like Riley is like Maggie congratulates her and you can tell that Maggie's not someone who like says good job a lot. Right. And then Riley is obviously proud of her. And then you have Riley's other white guy friend, whatever Graham. his name is. Graham. Yeah. Graham. <laughs> and then you have Forrest, who is still playing the, like, I love Riley, get the fuck away from my man. For real, though. Yeah. Yes. Like, there Forrest was... so deeply loves Riley, he can't even help it. <laughs> I, I, you know, I actually did, like, because you said that before, Matthew, and, oh boy, is it really, like... He's, like, very, like, get away from my man. Like, He's super jilted right now. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. It's like and I feel bad. Cozy. He's, like, he, it's like he doesn't have the, like, I, you know, if this season were, like, from the other perspective, it would, like, Riley and Forrest would be, like, the Tara Willow plot line because <laughs> oh, they my God. are so in love with each other. They should have given Forrest a Zeppo episode towards the end of the season and just oh. been, like, the season through Forrest ties. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> This season is about how, like, Forrest had a best friend, and then he started dating someone else, and he was completely abandoned, yes. and his world was turned upside down. Oh my god, wait. Ugh. I have... I, I have a lot to say about that, um, but I'll wait till we get there. We're in my notes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, we, go, does anyone else have something to say about the initiative test? No, I said, you know, I mean, I, I was wondering what you guys think. I know that we've mentioned it before, Matthew, like the initiative is kind of like the symbolism of like the patriarchy in season four, at least. Um, And it's almost weird that like the head of that, like patriarchy is a woman. Yeah. Um, Because when Buffy has to downplay when she's like, oh, it was just luck. And then she looks at Riley. She's like, you know, I'm just, you know, I was just saying that I actually knew what I was doing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's well, like I, a thing I that a, I... I think it's something that we can come back to a lot, and I'm really interested to hear um, Buffy and Joe talk about this, because I think it's one of the first times that we've actually seen Buffy interact with, like, a scary female authority figure. Like, we've had Principal Snyder, and you've had the way she interacted with the mayor and other people, and I think that 
the way she interacts with Maggie, it almost reminds me of like all about Eve, like the ingenue versus the really like the older actress. And there's a lot of like jealousy and like all these emotions. I think that Maggie is in some ways really threatened by Buffy because she's mm-hmm. like, I've worked my entire yeah. career to like know all this shit about demons and you come in with your superpowers. I thought you were a myth and you're taking Riley away from me. It's almost like, what's the opposite of Oedipal Clytemnestra syndrome? Yeah, for real. It's well, very- and it's yeah. funny, I think that like there it's no it's no mistake that Joss or, or whoever made her a psychology professor, because it is so edible slash Clinton Nestra. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting with with Maggie because there's like real world implications came into this, right? Where like Lindsay Krauss was supposed to be there for the whole season. She was supposed to be the big bad for the whole year, and conflicting stories about what that ended up being, whether she, you know, wasn't getting along with Joss on the set or she wanted to leave and do other projects or whatever it was, but like they wrote her out mid season and that was not always the plan. And the plan was to have it be this very sort of like dark mother figure where she would like be protective of Riley and try and sort of meddle in that, area while also being the head of the initiative and i think because the fact that they ended up writing out her character at the end of these episodes um there's a lot of muddledness about the initiative and maggie and adam in terms of like who's the bad guy so is the bad guy like institutional like government scientist whatever like meddling into and sort of trying to tell you know, dictate to Buffy what to do, or is it this sort of dark mother figure, or is it this like suddenly introduced Frankenstein's monster? And I think for me, one of the weaknesses of season four is that like coming on the heels of seasons two and three, which are so streamlined in terms of the bad guy, like, you know, exactly what the stakes are with Angel as the bad guy. And like the mayor is such like a well-defined character. And I think in season four, there's too much of a half and half kind of a thing, and it doesn't really feel as as tight of a pinpoint. Do you know what I mean? Well, I mean, even hearing you say that, it's kind of like, well, if this is what they had to deal with, like Lindsay leaving, you know, it might it probably just did muddle up all their plans. It reminds me of like, you know, like it it happens a lot in TV and movies. Like if an actor is just even not like available. With Oz. Right, uh, yeah. Well, it also reminds me kind of of, like, how the end of Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy was bad because he expected Heath Ledger to be alive. Right, yeah. And to continue going. And then instead it was like, oh, well, I have to completely change what my trilogy was. And it's it's, it's interesting for for you to hear that. And uh, to hear that from you, because I do think that, like, having an entire season with Maggie would have been beneficial... Um, because I think Maggie, and we were just, I was just saying like, she's jealous of Buffy. She has no muscle. She has all brain. And that if I had seen more of Adam and Maggie working together with like her as the brains and him as the muscle, that it would have been a cooler dynamic. Yeah. Almost, almost like the first and Caleb were like, Caleb is fine. I think he's fine because literally he's just their muscle. And that's totally fine with me. I don't care about him. They kill him before the finale. Like, it's fine. 
I'm fine with like a big bad that has to use muscle. You know? Well, well, and apparently, originally, Adam was going to end up then being more sympathetic of a character because ultimately, in the end, he's not. It's not his fault that he was sort of created out of these spare parts, and because you would still have Maggie as the big bad, then Adam's. You know, you leave room to be a little bit more interesting with that. Mm-hmm. Ooh, well, I feel so simple. All these theories, and I'm still stuck on the test when she used the human as a shield from the taser blast and he gets up and walks away (laughs) (laughs) which is cool they use that on like big monsters and they're get they get up and they're like good job and i'm like was he unconscious off camera did they carry him back or did they just leave him there like what happened to the guy off camera that got thrown on using him as a shield it's all those soldier vitamins they take every yeah, morning. Exactly. They make you, uh, oh, right, right. <laughs> they make you impervious to giant taser blasts. Right. Um, so we then we get the quick we get two quick scenes. Um, and maybe if everyone wants to just say what their th- the thoughts are about the quick scenes, but we get the scene of Buffy and Willow, where Buffy is looking at Riley and talking about their relationship and just that um, in the lunchroom, and then. Uh, we have the the piece where Giles goes to visit Spike to give him the $300 for helping him when he was a demon. So I know I, we have bigger things to get to, so I just want anyone to <laughs> offer thoughts that they have about those scenes. Okay, fine. I'll try to make this. So um, when I said I had something to say about this, Buffy, I mean, and Buffy, they're consistent with her character. I think it is in line with her character that she's so obsessed with her boyfriend that she's not listening to a goddamn word her best friend is saying, but she's really pissing me off. And I was wondering what you guys feel. So I feel like, you know, I mean, Matthew, we did, we discussed this with Guardians of the Galaxy when we both saw it. That's why we loved it. It was more like that team is a chosen family, more so than just, like, people fighting together. Um, and for me, that's why the Scoobies work, because they're a chosen family. And I feel like... <clears throat> And I might be being a little whatever here, but I feel like straight people often disregard that more than queer people do. Um, And Willow clearly just wants Buffy to, like, ask her how she's doing. Willow is, like, dancing around not telling her about Tara because she doesn't feel comfortable. She wants Buffy to try to make her feel comfortable enough to talk about it. And she herself wants to be comfortable enough to talk about it. But she's not there yet, clearly. And I mean, realistically, in the world of the show... Her and Tara have only known each other for, what would we say, like a few weeks, I guess? Yeah, like two to three weeks. Yeah. Um, so, like, it still is new. But I feel like Buffy is like, oh, I'm in love, so I don't need my chosen family anymore. And just, like, running off to be with this guy and actually doesn't care about, is being really self-absorbed about it. Um, you know, like, she's looking directly at Riley. She's about to tell Willow oh, Anya's going to be around for a long time, you should get used to her, but she stops, and then it's just like, he's getting whatever the hell she gets mad at him for getting, I forget. Um, a Twinkie. A Twinkie for lunch. <laughs> and it's like, ugh, get it together, be like, be friends with her, like, she's your best friend. You guys blew up a monster at graduation together. He, She re-insold your other ex-boyfriend, like... Come on. Well, I would I would just say that I think your reading of the scene is a little dramatic and that she's just <laughs> infatuated with her friends. But I think no, but I think that like is the theme of Buffy right. this season. But I think that it's also just natural. Like I think she's in the infatuation period because this period I mean, this episode is where they have sex for the first time, and I think that there's still like if their relationship 
is a roller coaster, they're still at the part where it's like going up and you hear the chain links going and I you're mean, like ready to go over the first peak. Right. And so just, I think that's it, it feels yeah. like they've been dating forever. Like I've been watching this season for the podcast mm-hmm. and it just feels like they've been dating, but they really haven't been. He's just been like a person of interest in her life. Welcome to weekly TV, Ian. Not everything <laughs> binge watching. Although part of it was too that like the second you saw Riley in that first episode of the season, you knew where they were going. So there was a sense of like, even you if mean, they weren't actually dating on screen in your in your head as you're watching the show, it's just like yeah, they've been together all season. You mean you mean he wasn't meant to date Willow as they first. <laughs> <laughs> So as yeah. far as that scene goes, I've always um, I've always kind of thought that Joss Whedon kind of wrote himself into the show as Xander. Like, that's my running theory, is that that's why Xander kind of doesn't get a lot of the comeuppance that I think that he deserves for some of his actions. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like, it seems like when Buffy's depressed, she's written to be, like, really pathetic and really sad and, like, uh, like complete gloom. Um, but then when she's happy about something, they write her so extreme, like almost like purposely to annoy the viewer. So it's kind of like, I feel like in a lot of ways, uh, Buffy's written kind of like, or maybe it's, I don't know, something along the line just makes it so extreme that it's hard not to get kind of frustrated with her because a few episodes ago, you know, you were fighting at Thanksgiving and you were all upset about Angel and then you went to go see Angel and, you know, you were all broody and then you came back and you got happy again and now you're annoying happy and then you're going to be miserable again. And so it's, I kind of always give her some slack because I'm like, well, she's been through a lot. Like if you just trace back a few episodes, season four's beginning was really, really tumultuous for her. So mostly I was just happy for her. Like, good for you. Get yourself together. College is hard. I I think you're right in that like she feels things very intensely because even like Jane, when Jane Espenson was on the show talking about the Thanksgiving episode, she said that that, that that Joss gave her a note that like, her that she she uh that he felt like she was uh possessed by a thanksgiving demon because she was so obsessed in the script with thanksgiving um and and yeah so that was a joss whedon note to jane s benson <laughs> but yeah no i think it goes to what you're saying um and then the, the one thing i, I um i don't I have anything to say about the spike I, I love giles being Giles is being a good dad, like all the like um our guests on a new man, Meg Ellison, she said how like she thinks Giles is like one of the perfect examples of like there's no there's never like toxic masculinity and he's just like a genuinely good dad to everyone. Mm-hmm. And I love that in this scene he even tries to be like somewhat of a good dad to Spike, but Spike isn't having any of that crap. Um like he's like looking around the crypt to see Spike's new home and like he even says, like, oh, do you think maybe there's a higher purpose? You're fighting demons. And Spike's like, no, get out. Like, hmm. And Giles even tries to put the effort into someone who has tried to kill them numerous times. I don't know. And I just, I love Giles. <laughs> they play, they've they played with uh, dad stuff with Giles and Spike a couple times in the series, yeah. right? Like in yeah. Restless, there's the scene. Um, and then in, um, what's the... Tabula Rasa, Tabula thank Rasa, you. Yeah. Yes. Um, so that's kind of fun. That is true. I will say my general feeling about Spike and the Crypt is any scene with Spike and the Crypt that doesn't involve a reference to passions is a wasted scene as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so there was that. They... <laughs> <laughs> um, so then I the next scene is Tara with Willow. 
and Tara wanting to give Willow her grandmother's crystal. That does feel a little, like, relaxed, right? That feels a little relaxed. Like, it feels a little, like, okay, girl, like, calm down. This is your grandmother's crystal, and yeah. you've known Willow for, like, three days. <laughs> and also, Tara is still, they're still writing Tara as if she can't string a sentence together, and it's yeah. a bit much. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking of what you had said in Hush, Matthew, how, like, they, like, do the mousy thing, but dialed up to 10. And they're, like, still kind of doing that here. They're still tweaking it. Like, she's at, like, a 9 or an 8 now. Yeah. <laughs> and I forget exactly what the line is. But there is a line where, like, her stammer is so thick that I'm just, like... I, I, and, like, this is not any... Like, obviously, there are people with stammers. But, obviously, they just kind of, like... They, do they don't yet know how much she's supposed to stammer because they kind of retcon by the end of the season she's not stammering anymore. Well, that whole thing reaches a fever pitch in Who Are You when Faith is so mean to her that it, like, takes my breath away. And, like, I won't spoil it for, like, you guys will discuss that, obviously, in the next one. But, like, oh, my God, I still am just, like, stop making just she has a stammer. Don't, like, <laughs> That's true. I that's forgot weird. about, yeah, Faith, like, literally calls her out. And it's, yes. like, terrible. Yeah, that's true. Oh, it's awful. Anyway, continue. But I find, it, like, something so pure about her because I've watched the series through with so many different people from my life. And, like, instantaneously, everyone is just drawn to her. And I don't know if it's just the performance, if it's the material. I don't really think it's the material. I really think it's the acting. Even if it's overacted, there's just something so pure about her that all of these different people who liked so many different characters could all agree on one thing was that like Tara was like needed to be protected at all costs. Yeah. I think that's a common like sentiment. I think that it's like, we've said that like Xander's the everyman and you even said that he might represent Joss. And I think that he's supposed to be someone, even if we don't like him, that like he's supposed to, he has no powers just like we do. Mm -hmm. And, but Tara almost feels like supernaturally good and like, I don't know. In, in a way that the none, none of the other, all the other people on the show kind of feel like, if you want to think about that grid, they're like true neutral or like chaotic neutral or lawful neutral. But like Tara is solidly good. She's like soft. She's like lawful good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I agree. So <laughs> I have a question for you, Joe, because I yes. told you I had questions for you. Okay. So. Obviously, I mean, later we'll get to it, but I think I just want to ask it now, like, this is the episode, or these are the episodes, we've seen Tara, and, um, you know, also, she does the spell, she does that spell with Willow, and she messes it up and all that stuff, like, were there, what were the theories like about Tara, like, on the Buffy message boards at the time? Did everyone know that I was going to go the relationship route, or were they like, no, she's like a secret demon, or like, like, what were some of the early theories about Tara? So Tara was hugely like suspect from the from the fan base from like the beginning because they wrote her in this very like sort of secretive way. And I think a lot of people who didn't automatically click to the idea that they might put Willow in a lesbian relationship were like, well, why, you know, why else would would the storylines be like integrating her into the group like this, if it's not going to be some sort of like huge betrayal. And it actually, that's why like up until season five in that family episode, which is where it all comes to a head. Like that had been like months and months, like a year essentially of the fan base distrusting Tara to one level or another. And I think 
the balance sort of shifted as it went along and has the, that pairing became more popular, but there was still this huge sense that like waiting for the other shoe to drop because clearly she had secrets. And then you find out in family that, you know, it's not as bad as you thought, but certainly in season four, there was a lot of, you know, suspicion about like what she was really up to. Hmm. I also, now that I'm thinking about it, I kind of would have loved also if Maggie stayed around because it would have had this really interesting, like Buffy dealing with like the dark mother Maggie thing. And then also like Willow falling in love with Tara. It would have been all about these female relationships. Yeah. Loved it. Um, So I think this happens actually before Buffy going to the initiative. I think that happens right before the Tara and Willow scene. Um, but can we, are we, are we ready to be at well, that it happens scene? Right. It's, the, it's the next scene. Yeah. That Buffy, when they all get paged while they're at the bronze. No, 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 no. Before, before Willow and Tara, because Buffy gets the tour of the initiative from Riley after oh. the Spike and Giles scene. Um, oh, okay. And for me, I'm just like, come on. <laughs> like, it feels like so much exposition, like, I know you said there's a lot going on, and there is, but it just feels like so much talking, and, like, we already got this in the episode titled The Initiative, and, like, I feel like we did not need Buffy being, like, wow, at this fucking gray warehouse that happens to have a pit in it. (laughs) (laughs) You are really not a fan of this episode. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know. Like, for me, it it felt like a lot of, like, look, I'm showing you a body cam that monitors heart rate because we're going to come back to this later. Look at the guns we have. We will come back to these later. Like, uh, like fucking take the ticket. Like, I get it. Something's going on. Like, I felt like we didn't need any of that. Is this the scene where Maggie makes the joke and and it totally, like, bombs? Yes. That I I thought was kind of funny. I really enjoyed that. But then she makes makes a, a joke that bombs, but then she makes a joke... That's like, don't worry. I like where she says, like, where she says, like, it'll take you a while, but you'll learn to pick it up. And then Buffy picks up the thing and she says, don't pick that up because it's like $20,000. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's some good stuff in there. There's little, uh, little touches here and there. Yeah. I mean, Lindsay Krause is a really good actress. Oh, yeah. Like, she was, uh, she was either, if not married to David Mamet, then like, was his like muse for quite a while and she's been like she's like she's great she's an oscar nominee like she's fantastic she really? yeah, yeah she's nominated for places in the heart that the movie that sally field won the oscar for when it's like you like me you really like me that oscar speech she was nominated for that movie wait buffy did you know that i did not know that okay I'm good. so i'm not the only i'm not the only one learning that right now yeah <laughs> <laughs> i found her to be so intimidating in that scene like because I'm very much like I can really relate to Buffy. And when I go somewhere new, I'm often like really overwhelmed with, oh, what's this? What's this? What's this? Um, and and personalities like like hers can be really intimidating because you're like, I just want to respond and sort of take all this in. And I don't know if I can do that in a way that's going to be like kosher here. Like, uh. and so the whole scene, I just see her eyeing Buffy up and I'm like, oh, it makes me so uncomfortable. <laughs> well, I think it, I act- it, it, Sorry, go ahead, Joe. I was just going to say, just to close that little loop, because I just looked it up on Wikipedia. She's Zasha Mamet's mother, which I actually didn't realize, but... Yes. Like, from Girls. Oh. Yeah. Shit, Shoshana I, from Girls. I yeah, Shosh from Girls is her daughter. Yes. Huh. Hmm. I'm learning all sorts of things today. See? 
Okay. <laughs> See, I I'm learning too, but I, I've never watched Girls, so I don't know who that is. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> She's. But yeah. see, Joe, I, I was right. I knew you probably bring the TV, best so. actress on the show. I would say, Sasha Mamet. No, oh, on, on girl. I thought you meant on Buffy. I was like, excuse me, on girl. <laughs> <laughs> Sasha Mamet's not on girls, Ian. You're on ten. You're ready to snap. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she's ready. Um, okay, so so we we can link that talking about that scene to the scene where Buffy is in the initiative later, getting the 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 instructions about the Palgara demon. Right. Um, oh, I love that scene. So I, I, so Buffy really pisses me off when she, because like I said, like I know that I gave the dramatic speech about Buffy not caring, but like her showing up to the bronze with all of Riley and his goons, like really pisses me off because I feel like, I don't know, like I mean, maybe I'm over-relating, but I'm just like, man, like can't you just hang out with your friends? Like be cool, man. Like come on. Everyone just like be chill and hang out and be friends. Um, And I mean, she does genuinely seem to be like, oh, I'm sorry, Willow. I didn't know. Like, Oh, do you have someone to bring? Which I wanted to point out is, like, the first time that, like, Willow's dancing around talking about Tara that even Buffy's like, oh, is it someone special? Like, even Buffy picks up that, like, maybe she was talking about someone special. Yeah. Um, I wrote that down, too, that, like, first time that Willow seems like she wants to, like, say Tara's name to everyone. But then she doesn't. So I get pissed off at her there, but then I... Yeah, I agree with you guys. I love Buffy raising her hand <sighs> and being like, but what about this? But the Polgars don't usually do that. But, and like knowing all this shit and like they're, they're totally, and like I love the, that like, because for me, this is totally what they're doing. They're not only looking down on her. I mean, she's the, I think the only woman in that group of people listening to Professor Walsh. Mm-hmm. Um but, like, she's not dressed like an army military person. And they look at her, and she's like, oh, this halter, I've I've slayed in it before. Like, I love that. It's such, like, a throwaway whatever. But I, I don't know. For me, I really like that. I love the halter as well. Yeah. Yes, also. <laughs> she, also, she looks great in that scene. <laughs> My favorite is the uncomfortable moment of, like, save questions to the end. Oh, I'm done. Oh, <laughs> Okay, so anyways, <laughs> and then any questions, and Buffy's still raising her hand. That's so it. good, yeah. <laughs> I think it's like, in a lot of ways, I think, and I, I've, I've seen this in the workplace myself, that there's sort of like a condescension when someone female identifying is like asking a lot of questions. Like, it's kind of like, why aren't you just figuring this out? Like, stop asking questions. And I think right, like, yeah. obviously the scene could have played out with Xander or somebody else asking a lot of questions as well. But I think it's like specifically coded that, she's this pretty girl in her halter top amongst all of these men. And they're all flabbergasted that she's like daring to ask questions. Yeah, I totally, well, uh, I totally agree. With you. Yeah. And I think the idea, I mean, season four in a larger way is about like knowledge and wanting to know Adam becomes the villain who like wants to know things and Maggie has secrets. And so Buffy, they establish her as someone who's very curious in this scene. And it's also very disruptive, I think to the, like kind of like the initiatives like patriarchal ceremonies like they're like you're just supposed to sit here and listen to what maggie says and then go out and do this thing and i think the scene is really effective at showing that like buffy's presence is completely disruptive to the way that this organization works yeah mm-hmm. and it's like um for me i definitely identify a lot with like how she's asking questions because i think in today's world and even then still like 
sometimes asking a question is sometimes seen as aggressive. Like if you yeah. have someone's beliefs or something and you're genuinely just asking, it could still be seen as this aggressive action. So in a lot of ways, it's like super intimidating to ask questions. And, and I think it definitely speaks to her character that she's, she's often written as like kind of silly and, and not really the thinking type, but she's really socially brave in taking these chances of asking these questions in front of all these people. Um, even knowing that the room is definitely not feeling it because the second they leave, she has complete social awareness that it was definitely not okay for her to be yeah. asking all of these questions. Well, and it's sort of it's sort of like how it's an offshoot of her relationship with the Watchers Council too, where like right, yeah. mm, yes. the Watchers, she's she was all she was supposed to do was take you know take orders and follow procedures and whatever, but she's you know far too much of an individual for that, and I think putting her in this sort of military uh, context, she's again she's this you know order and and obedience are the rule of the day there and she's just like nope i've got a billion more questions yeah most of them are why and it's yeah and like i also know my shit so like right exactly yeah mm-hmm. which i love um yeah I, I i think that's yeah that scene like is so great um i love so then we get are we are we at spike going into um oh wait I wanted to point out, and I wanted to ask everyone because it's very possible I missed it. When they get paged at the bronze, Riley says, Mother wants us, which sounds like really fucking like weird red pill speak bullshit. Does <laughs> I Riley. Thought he, I thought he said Maggie. I, no, he says Mother. Maybe that's her code name. Like his code name is Lilac, which plays into the whole mothering thing. Yeah, I mean, I could see that being the case because, like, that was definitely, again, like, talking about, like, the larger plans for Maggie. Like, the whole mother relationship with Riley is hugely underlined in this episode where she gets very, like, she she calls him Riley instead of Agent Finn in front of uh, the one scientist colleague of hers. Yeah. And that's, like, a very, tech like, telling slip up to the point where, like contrasted at the end of the episode with Adam calling her mommy. Like that's all very intentional, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's also just weird that he, he talks about like his country home and all that stuff in the episode. Um, what I can't remember the exact title, but where Willow puts the spell on everybody. So um, Willow, yeah. And, yeah. He's talking about his cabin and his family, yeah. but he, like never actually mentions like his own mother at all, or like has no conversations at all about his family life, whereas, like, Buffy's family life is very obvious to the viewer. Same with basically every other person in the Scoobies, aside from um, Giles, who, you know, who we've been, who we, we don't even know if they're alive. Right. And then um, Anya, who they have long since passed. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it's just interesting that he never gets that sort of parental relationship even explored at all. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Yeah, and it's like, and I mean, Joe, you're right. They totally do, like, underline it. They're, like, beating us over the head with with it. Um, so then we have, like, the, like, sexy fight, which I don't know. Does that work? Does it work for well, everyone? It doesn't really work for me. So, um, well, no, we don't get that just yet. We have to, Forrest says, I'm always Riley's second in command and said he picks a girl, which yeah. is, like, I wrote, like, shut the fuck up, Forrest. Like, <laughs> and then. Forrest and then is going Graham, through it. <laughs> and then Graham delivers the most like Friday Night Lights line, and he's like, "Yeah, but it's his girl." I'm like, "Oh, shut the fuck up, Nicholas Sparks!" Like, oh. 
<laughs> like it's that dialogue is so frustrating, but it's but, also so real. And it's, like, but that's intentional. Like, we think Forrest right? is literally mad that he picked a girl. Are you in second grade? Like, <laughs> but right, like all that. I feel like all that's totally intentional, right? Well, mm-hmm. yeah, of course. Yeah, it's just a shame that that there could have been so many of the relationships on the show have a little bit more thought to them, and it seems like there could have been something more kind of like realistic or something more complex explored but they just like like you said they make it like a second grade oh my god he picked a girl type of thing and and it could have been something really interesting i think but it's almost like his character was written to be as repulsive as possible which i was like wow joss you have like one black character on the show and you're trying so hard to make him like buffy's enemy in every way possible so like make viewers not want to identify with him or like him at all. And so it, it was so off-putting. And as a teen, I fell for it. I was like, oh, I hate him. He hates Buffy. He's so mean. And now it's like, wow, he really wasn't written to be kind of three-dimensional. He was just angry most of the time about something. I feel like I, I'm somewhere in between where obviously, like, I mean, Buffy has always had a lack of, like, really good characters of color, uh, clearly. But, like, I think that it is both, that he is both childish but that that does make for an emotionally complex character sometimes because i mean isn't there i mean joss is trying i think to make a comment about toxic masculinity and it's he's doing it in the days before that was like a like a buzz term on tumblr to call everything Mm -hmm. and he doesn't really explore too much like frat culture during Buffy's college years. I mean, he does have, we do have Reptile Boy, but that was when she was in high school. But she doesn't really explore, they don't really go into like frat culture and that type of masculinity. And instead they're doing the initiative. So I kind of feel like Joss is still exploring like the emotionally stunted college guy who just like really feels like his bro squad is breaking up. Yeah. I think what made it more difficult for me to palette was that his other friend, his his white friend, was so sweet and was so nice to Buffy. Like even when she beat their beat their butts in the beginning of the episode, he was like, Good job, Buffy. Um, and so they made him so like endearing and like sweet and kind and the few times he actually speaks. Um, and then every time Forrest speaks, it's like something so exaggerated and so like he becomes like almost the sole representative of the toxic masculinity for the kind of faceless initiative members that don't ever really get a chance to speak. I will say in both of their not defense, I don't think either of them are good actors. I kind of think like, I I think they're both like, and I always think that Buffy, you know, has as good writing and good actors, but I think they, Buffy especially gets good, um, like women, I think a lot of the men aren't always as strong of performers as the women are on the show. And I think that Graham and Forrest both, like, for me, both, all of their stuff feels like, I don't know. But also, I'm not a fan of the initiative, so maybe I'm just, I don't know. I feel like I'm, like, the bitter motherfucker over here on this end of the (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I have nothing nice to say. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with you, though. I don't think it's that great. (laughs) Ian, you wanted to talk about the sex and violence montage. As, well, that's what I've said in my notes. I was, sex. I was interested how it played out for all of y'all. Because for me, I actually really like the music. I don't know. I think they and the, I appreciate the slow motion 
lightness of like the fighting mixed with the sex and kind of like playing on the fact that Faith said like, oh, doesn't it make you horny after you like slay a monster? And Buffy's like, I sometimes crave an on-fat yogurt. Um, <laughs> and in this, it's like, no, it does make you horny. And like, I don't know if I had super strength and had to kill monsters and to quote Dawn, had sex that was rough. I probably also would be horny after killing a bunch of monsters. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm just like, ugh. I'm sort of of two minds of it. Because, like, it's good that the that her relationship with Riley is the first time we see Buffy having sex for pleasure. Yes. Which is, yeah. like, an important step. Um, it is weird to me that, like this show's concept of a more sort of adult mature sexuality is depicted in these like really to me, cheesy montages. I always think of the, what's the episode with the sex house where um, the wild where things the wild are, things where are. the wild things are, which again, I was just like, it just comes across as cheesy to me. And just sort of like this, like hyped up Cinemax lit <laughs> sort of like slow motion, like, uh, love making like you know what i mean like it sounds it's like it's something you would call love making which is just gross just like i, don't... I feel like the music diverged it away from from love making like i feel the lo- the music was actually like fucking music like, like they were like, it was yeah. more clubby i, and, I, like, I agree with you more vibe more vibey like it wasn't the sarah mclaughlin like that was kind of what they played for parker <coughs> right in a way when yeah. she thought that she was supposed to be falling for parker and they had what was the name of that band when uh, she was naked biff naked yeah and like that was that moment and like now i i think and i didn't even write this down i'm so glad that you brought that up joe like how the sex is like depicted as pleasurable i wouldn't be surprised if like they had to also do that to get away with like network standards because you really can't show yeah or like sexual pleasure right have to use the music to like until they a, jump to UPN and they were just like thrust all you want nobody cares like right. oh. Actually, why, don't, why don't why doesn't Spike's dick just break a house like how about that <laughs> UPN was like we're happy to have you do whatever you do whatever you want I'd rather you do it in the house <laughs> speaking it from behind in this house and then it falls down like, oh my um, God. This is exactly what we signed up for but okay. <laughs> but can we talk about the moment when we find out that Maggie Walsh is watching because I that oh. is like, amazing. That it's is a good nasty scene. ass. Yeah, yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah, if this were on UPN, like Maggie would be watching and probably like pleasuring herself to yeah, this. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like even grosser because like they're hitting us over the head with the fact that she's like like his mother, and then it's like, oh, but also she's she has cameras everywhere watching him do whatever everything. Well, like this is very this is very the um Oh my God! Who's the actress from United States of Terror? That that's Tara's sister. Oh, Rosemary and Dewitt. It's very the Rosemary Dewitt episode of Black Mirror. Oh, I haven't seen, I that, haven't one. seen that one. Oh my God! So the, well, this past season there was an episode where she puts a camera. She's able to put a camera on her child when she's an infant to watch her, and like the camera stays on into her teen years, and so she watches everything that you might do in your teen years oh as well. Oh, because oh. um, she never takes the camera out. So it, I, it's so interesting that you brought up the mother watching because it is that thing. It's like, yeah, maybe the ple- the the pleasuring yourself joke that I made went very far, but it does toe that line between like I want to know what my son is doing, but he's also not actually my son, and it's very like it could also be mom that rocks the cradle. It's every early '90s movie. Yes, yeah, for like real. That. 
Remember that movie Mother's Boys with uh, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis? That was another one where it was just oh, no. like, oh my god, that was very over the top, very like '90s cheesy late night. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I probably I watched a lot of weird movies late at night. Um, I would like go downstairs to like living room and never be asleep. I'd be like, let me turn on TV. And never seen like weird shit like that. It, it's one of those scenes that I like watching just because I know the person that I'm going to watch it with is going to go, oh, oh, ew. Like it just <laughs> I like to wait and see the reaction. <laughs> I mean, Mostly, I was just happy for Buffy. I was like, finally, you get to have sex in like a non-world-ending kind of way. And I think I I do agree that the scene is kind of like not all the way there in terms of like its sexiness. I I, I think the way I would refer to it is it's nice to look at because they're both very attractive. Like they're both really cute. Right. Um, They've got the the perfect look for the time. Um, But there was definitely I I would agree that it's probably more the network that you can only show so much. And I think if they'd had a little bit more freedom, it may have gone different ways. Cause I, I agree with Matthew. The music was definitely a little bit more like something nasty is happening. It's yeah. not as cute as it might appear, but what they show is a little bit more cute than it was sort of like, yeah, I actually oh, put, wow. I actually put in my notes. I just saw, I just was looking through this. Like you just said earlier, Matthew, how, when Jana Spenson said she had to, change a little bit of Buffy so it didn't feel like she was being like entranced by like a Thanksgiving spell this almost the music and the composition almost make it seem like they're somehow like entranced by some force that's making them want to fight and fuck which I mean realistically is just you know being horny and 19 (laughs) or however old they are um but yeah it like almost kind of reads like that yeah um so do we want to talk about Spike going to Giles's place yeah, sure. Because I do like a lot of the things that are going on in this scene. Um, I love how petty Giles is. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Um, I love when he's like, oh, and you helped me out of the evilness of your heart? And Spike's like, hell no, I made you pay me. Oh, damn it. And then he like pays him, gives him his money back. Um, all of the things that Spike said, I kept being like, oh, screenshot this, you can make... A sex joke. Oh, screenshot this. You can make a sex joke. <laughs> when he's like yelling, get it out of me. And then Giles <laughs> says, it's in too deep and I'm no surgeon. I'm like, oh, yep. <laughs> those are, are going to be tweets from our podcast. Like, that's what I was like thinking. <laughs> <laughs> they do a thing in this scene that the show does a few other, like only a few other times when Xander's like, oh, it's blinking. It's a tracer. Any of the four of us would know just from watching sci-fi, like, okay, yeah, that's probably what that is. And yeah. no one, everyone's like, oh, what? Like, I've never <laughs> heard this word. And I'm like, Giles is super, Giles is the smartest one in that apartment. And he's like, what? Giles goes running to the encyclopedias. Yeah. Just, Wait a second. <laughs> he's like, does the codex say anything about a trick <laughs> <laughs> And they like forgot that Willow is a super hacker and was more familiar with computers and things than right. him, but just forgot all of this all of a <laughs> yeah. sudden. Um, but also I have to say the gag of all of their hair standing straight up really fucking lands with me. (laughs) Ionized. (laughs) It's so stupid, but I think it's so great. (laughs) It's just on the edge of being out of place with the show's level of humor, right? Where it's just like, it's it's too cartoonish by just a little bit, but it's like they, those characters again, have so little to do that. It's fun to see them just like, at least like have fun. Like that's good. 
and just their that, faces with their hair sticking straight up. I'm just like, oh, I'm loving this. <laughs> it's a little like syndicated, like, you know, those like shows that were in syndication at the time that were like Farscape or, you know what I mean? Like uh, yeah, that yeah, sort of, yeah. like yeah. level Babylon five was just sort of just like, that's maybe the level of like comedy <laughs> I'm expecting from that. But it was, I laughed. I have to say, yeah. I admit I laughed. Yeah. Um, so then I, so a thing that th- also this season, I mean, the big bad does it too. It felt like, so we get it. Maggie's setting up Buffy. She wants these demons to kill her. She undersells the demons. She's like, oh, it could be a raccoon, but it's actually these like stronger, de- but it really felt like, okay, well, Buffy can take these guys. There's not like a hundred, right? Right. Like at this point in the show, she is experienced enough where like, yeah, she can take two demons. Right. It's yeah. Fine. But, yeah. I, but I think the point is that Maggie doesn't know that. Right. Right. Exactly. That's, yeah. Yeah. As uh, Buffy point, says to her in her little uh, first-person video. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But you, but I, I want to backtrack a little bit because there were two notes that I took that happened before this. In that, I think this is actually huge for Buffy's character that this is the first time Buffy's woken up from sex and that the man has been there because both Angel and Parker mm-hmm. left her. Yes. Yes. And this that's is significant for sure. It's very significant for her that I think, and that's why I also think that this is like a point in the Riley column like I think that she feels a lot of affection for him because he'd really until he until he leaves her for good he really doesn't leave her and she feels like you know he's the trustworthy one yeah he was the trustworthy one who kind of stayed after she because I mean Buffy has had sex with Angel once and Parker once and this is like the first time where she feels like oh this will happen a second time like he'll be there for me and I think that that's really psychologically significant um, and then I think when Willow and Buffy first come back to the dorm, it's like the, it's, um, one of the signs that the rest of the season will be about them splitting apart because they were both right. out all night with their lovers and they both, <laughs> can't, and they both don't want to talk about it with each other. Right. So did you take that? I kind of took it as like Buffy's still, cause I mean, the character of Buffy is a little prudish, um, and, I mean, but rightfully so, yeah, like you said, every other sexual experience she's had has been fucking horrendous. Yeah, um, traumatic. Yeah, <laughs> so, like, maybe she doesn't want to be like, oh, yeah, me and Riley were having lots of fucking superhero sex last night. It was hot. It was great. He didn't leave or try to murder me when we woke up. So great. Um, like, maybe she doesn't, like, want to tell Willow, right? Like, because that's kind of... I feel like that fits her character, right? Yeah, also, you think... Go ahead, go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, you'd think she would have figured out that he was on, like, super soldier vitamins after their, you know, (laughs) night of athletic lovemaking where he could, like, keep up with her and all. Like, Well, also, I feel like, was there sex like that sex in, like, Breaking Dawn Part 1 where, like, Edward (laughs) makes the bed on Bella? (laughs) Don't bring up Twilight! (laughs) (laughs) I took my mother to see that movie on Valentine's Day, and I was mad at her afterwards. <laughs> no, you took your mom, and you were mad at her. I was gonna say she mother's must have been, should have been mad at you. Her and my grandma. No, oh. my no. The, the Puerto Ricans in my family love a Twilight. Grandma Panchi loved Los Lobo because he was so handsome, and he looked like he could be a Puerto Rican man. Anyway, continue. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> um. So, so no, I just I just wanted to bring up that one thing, but we can go back to the sewer trap moment because I also really love Lindsay Krauss just like watching the screen, sipping her tea. Yes, yeah, like so intent on just watching this Buffy die, like watching Buffy die. Right. Um, I will call her in a few minutes. That little bitch. <laughs> like, yeah. oh my gosh. 
I wanted to jump back to your note really quick, Matthew. I'm so sorry. I'm that um, I agree that I thought like Riley being there was like such a huge moment and was so sweet, but I almost feel like the show made it so obvious that like Riley wasn't going to last between Angel coming back, Buffy going over to Angel and being on his show and then having all those really emotional episodes. Um, and I'll never forget that it sort of was solidified for me that he was just going to be a temporary replacement. And I was watching the show with my friend Tanisha and there's that moment where they're practice sparring and she kicks him across the room and she goes, he's going to develop a complex. This is not going to last. And that is exactly what happened. <laughs> that's, yeah. <laughs> and I was dead because I was like, how did you predict the entire like Riley Buffy storyline in a matter of two minutes of watching the show? <laughs> Um, I definitely think that was like such a disservice because I think there, it was such a big moment, but it was sort of downplayed by the fact that the show kept teasing like Buffy and Angel, Buffy and Angel. Um, and there wasn't enough distance for the relationship really to have the impact it could have if it had been spaced out from Angel a little bit more. Because you get season four of them, maybe they are, maybe they aren't, and then they start dating and it just sort of is like underwhelming compared to the drama you got in seasons one, two, and three. And so I agree that it's super sweet. I just feel like I never was able to really immerse myself into like the Buffy Rileyness of it all because I was always like, well, there's still Angel and I'm still a Bangel shipper. So <laughs> just waiting for this to be a thing again. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, Buffy. I would agree that like it, if it had been given more time, it could have landed better. Because we get these issues, and they're, I mean, your, your friend's right, they're, like, they're there immediately, and they're never not there. Like, mm -hmm. his, his, like, complex is always there. And I mean, you know, in, like, the beginning half of season, I want to say, like, three episodes into season five is when he says to Xander, I know I'm lucky, but she doesn't love me. So, like, he never, there's never a point when, like, my anxiety would have been through the roof if I was in that relationship. I like <laughs> fuck. <laughs> um, but also, so I get really pissed off at. I mean, the next two episodes, Riley really pisses me off. But I get really mad that not only does he watch Buffy say the thing on the screen, but like he sees Buffy saying like, "Oh, you tried to kill me." Like it takes more than that, and he still doesn't fucking believe her. Like. <laughs> Yes. You literally just watched it happen. Like, how do you not believe your girlfriend? This woman isn't actually his mother. Like, yeah. Well, I don't think that's actually what he sees. I think he sees Buffy's speech and he's confused. Because we also have to recognize that his entire world is kind of, like, crashing down on him. Right. Also, he's but on I think super also that's soldier next, drugs. But also, that's oh, the next yeah. episode. <laughs> no, that's in this episode that he sees that. Well, he sees it, yeah. Right, right. Um... So, um, Perhaps he's just thrown by the fact that Buffy just invented vlogging right in front of his <laughs> eyes. <Was> that, <laughs> hey, YouTubers, I'm yes. in a sewer, and... <laughs> in a while since my last uh, vlog. Make sure to but... like and subscribe. Just kill these demons. I just completed the uh, the demon slaying challenge. <laughs> demon and challenge. Oh. I challenged Not... Maggie Walsh and Forrest. <laughs> and Video and... diary, just defeated two demons in a Super. <laughs> I would watch that. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, Buffy, oh my god, would Buffy be a YouTube star if she were around right now? Uh, all the slaying she does? I think Dawn would be. 
Yes. She, yeah. She'd yeah. be like, guys, I'm in love with a vampire, but he has a soul. Like, what do I do? Like, Don and Andrew would comment, have a YouTube series together. Comment below what I should do. <laughs> I can't. I can't. So, then Maggie but, Walsh but dies. Do, well, no. Well, I want to go back to what Joe said about, uh, or someone said about her yelling Riley as opposed to Agent Finn, which right. is really good and really moving. But then, yes, she does die. So then she goes in there, and we, like get our first glimpse at the, like, twist of a big bad, um, who, you know, is Frankenstein, and they will hit us over the head with it in the next episode. Sure will. (laughs) Um, so, do we have any other things to say before we get to our favorite things about the episode? That part scared the shit out of me when he jump-stabbed her real quick. I jumped so hard. Oh, (laughs) I still couldn't even watch it. Like, I had to, like, sort of, like, fast-forward and, like, turn the volume down a little bit (laughs) It jumps so suddenly. Like, it was so... I, I would say that's, like, a legitimate shock moment in the series. Like, I did not see it coming. Nope. I had no oh, yeah. idea it was going to happen. Yeah. Well, I also think the Maggie watching them have sex is a shock. Like, I think this episode delivers on, like, two big shock moments. But mm-hmm. it, but they should did not have to happen in one episode. Like, gags on no gags. <laughs> right. Joe. Yeah. So, favorite outfit, Joe? Oh, God. Um... <laughs> I feel like I'm put on the spot now. Uh, can I say least favorite outfit, which was Buffy's long, weird, like Aztec printed skirt that she's <laughs> wearing when they walk into the initiative. And I'm like, that seems impractical on several <laughs> levels. <laughs> um, Buffy. I like, I, I really liked her outfit when she was in the sewer. Um, I actually took a picture while I was watching the episode. Cause when she's in the room with Willow and she has good lighting, her hair is really cute. The outfit is super like accessible. It's nothing crazy. And her her beat is just really soft. And so I really liked that entire getup. I thought it was cute. All right. Matthew. Um, I <laughs> um I, her halter. <laughs> her halter is so cute. But wait, is that the same outfit that goes with the skirt that Joe hates? Listen, it can be like a divided, you know, well, verdict. Well, because I'm actually not sure because I love the halter too, but I don't remember seeing it from anything but like her chest up. Like when she's sitting in that crowd, when she's sitting at the bronze, like I don't remember seeing her get up. So I don't remember what the, like if there was a dress or she was wearing pants. Just, I really I like think, that halter with those necklaces. I think they're really cute. <laughs> I think she had pants on because when they fought the monster in that slow motion scene, but she had put a jacket on over it. So she was hunting in the halter, but then she put right. kind of like puffy jacket over top of it. Okay, yeah. I, I think that's a great... I agree with you, Matthew. That's a great halter. But I did say a close second is Xander in that like turquoise aqua top. I think it really hugged his arms nice and the color looked good on him. <laughs> Um, all right. This this was a good season for long sleeve tops. Uh, Willows had some good long sleeve yes, tops as well. I agree. Yeah. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm wearing long sleeves right now. Isn't it colder? Um, <laughs> it's like colder in LA than it is. Yeah, it's so yeah. much warmer here in New York right now. It's crazy. Yeah. Um. Okay. Favorite scene, Buffy. Um. The moment when she says it's going to take a lot more than that to kill me because I just love that Buffy never tried to be like the perfect hero. Like she's kind of like. I know I'm supposed to be good, but, like, I'm going to make you pay for doing this to me. Like, I'm threatening you right now on camera. Um, I'm going to get you for this. And I just love the delivery of the, 
oh, Buffy's dead, Buffy's dead. And then Buffy's not dead. She's on the camera behind you. <laughs> oh my gosh. We didn't even talk about how good Lindsay Krause's fake acting is. <laughs> like her yeah. acting fakely at that moment is actually really good. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, it's so self-aware that it's fake acting that it's, yes. it has levels to it. It's great. <sighs> Joe? Uh, mine's actually the same scene, but it's a different line reading, which is when Buffy says, um, believe me when I tell you, you're about to find out. When uh, when she's like, you don't know anything about the Slayer, but be- believe me when I tell you, you're about to find out. I was, I like any kind of when Buffy can get that rousing quickly, when it doesn't have to like ramp up to be this sort of like 20 page speech. So <laughs> that was great. Um, yeah, that's gotta be that one, right? I feel like that's... Well, Matthew. Also, also, like, knowing what happens, I'm like, Buffy, you probably shouldn't say that, like, right, on a yeah. monitor in the middle of the initiative, because it sounds like you're fucking threatening her life. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, she, like, made incriminating evidence by saying right. that. Right. Like, in the courtroom, I'd be like, Your Honor, I have video of Buffy saying <laughs> we're about to find out what Slayer Strength is like. Yeah. And, like, realistically, that means she's going to kill, like, Slayer Strength would kill her. Anyway. Yeah. Matthew, what's your favorite scene? Um... I, hmm, the scene with uh, Buffy questioning the initiative. All right. I put, we're once again, I put, the, it's a tie between that and then the really silly hair standing up gag. Like for me, <laughs> it's just so fucking stupid, but it works for me. And Joe's right. Like it feels like low level cartoonish comedy, but, and it's such a like beat. And then their hair's fine when Buffy gets to Giles' apartment. Yes. And like, you have to think of how much work did they put into all getting their hair back down? <laughs> As someone who just, does a lot of work. It was just another spell. It was, a, it was a defrizzing spell. That, uh, oh, I wish Lord. I had that. Okay. So, <laughs> grades. Matthew, what's your grade? Um, I'm going to give this episode an A minus. Um, Joe? Um, Matthew, I love you. I hate that we're so far apart on this. I'm going to give it a C. All right. Buffy? Uh, I'd agree with Matthew. I'd say like an A minus. All right. Um, Joe, look at us. I give it a C plus. Okay. There we go. Um, oh, wait. We forgot to say, what do we think Dawn would have been doing if she had to have been in this episode? I can't believe we forgot about that. Um, oh, right. So I'll go, I have my thing written down. I said that I think the way Dawn would have had to be in this episode is that Giles would have had to babysit her, and she would have been there annoying Spike, asking him, like, a million questions as they're trying to take out the tracer. And I put that her long-ass hair would have looked great sticking straight up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Buffy? That's kind of perfect. (laughs) Yeah, I actually agree with that. I think she could have been, there could have been, like, an interesting dynamic with her kind of being the only person around for Willow to talk to and kind of, like, the childhood innocence of it all, of her really not probably having preferences either way or understanding that there's anything, like, socially different about a sexuality. And I think that would have been, like, a cute dynamic of her just sort of venting to Dawn without actually venting to her. Oh, my gosh. It could have been this really cool scene where Dawn talks to Willow and Willow's, like... Don, you're in high school or whatever. You're in eighth grade. Like, how do you know when you like like someone as opposed to just liking them? Oh, and oh. she's talking to uh, Don about Tara, and uh, Don is like, "Well, you know, it's like that feeling when you think about them and you want to hang out with them, even like more so than being around the rest of your friends." And Willow's like, "What? That is the feeling I have for Tara." 
Oh, that would have been so precious. <laughs> <laughs> I would have really liked that. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, now we did. We went backwards, but so yeah. we graded the episode. Guys, thank you both for being on so much. Um, thank you. Thank you. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us at SlayerFestX98. And if you want to follow Matthew on Twitter, you can follow him at Matthew Rodriguez, one T, a G, and a Z. And if you want to follow Ian, you can follow him at IanXCarlos. And what about if you want to follow Buffy? Buffy, where can people follow you? Uh, live kindly Buffy, but beware, it's a vegan account. So if you don't like seeing a lot of veganism in your face, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> And Joe. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. Yay. All right. And thank you guys so much. Thank you everyone for listening. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.